Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of the show. Today, we're digging into the present and future of public housing in New York City, a city within a city. My guests are the new leaders of NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority. They are CEO Lisa Bova-Hyatt and board chair Jamie Rubin. More on them in a moment, and they'll join me very shortly. According to NYCHA, New York City's public housing is home to more than 528,000 New Yorkers across traditional Section 9 public housing and other programs under its umbrella. As most of you listening probably know, much of NYCHA's housing is in severe disrepair. Its recently released updated physical needs assessment, or PNA, came in at a whopping $78 billion, an almost incomprehensible number, estimating how much it would take over the next 20 years to get NYCHA housing to a state of good repair, meaning fixing roofs, elevators, boilers, insides of apartments, outsides, property that's outside the buildings but in the developments, and much more. Much of that need really needs to be done in the next several years because many of the buildings are crumbling. NYCHA is under a federal monitor since a 2019 agreement between federal regulators at the Department of Justice and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, the de Blasio administration at the time, and NYCHA. That was the result of a number of problems and scandals, particularly around living conditions in departments and exposure to lead paint and how the city and NYCHA had been handling those issues and more. Overall, according to NYCHA, it is home to 1 in 17 New Yorkers, about 6% of the city's population, living in about 11% of the city's rental apartments. NYCHA tenants don't pay more than 30% of their income toward rent. They are predominantly Black and Latino New Yorkers, about 45% each, 6% Asian, 4% white, Roughly, that's according to NYCHA data. Some other information about NYCHA tenants, according to NYCHA's April 2023 fact sheet, the average public housing family's income is $25,000, give or take, a year. The average public housing family's monthly rent is $557. 42% of NYCHA public housing families are working. About 15% of NYCHA families receive public assistance. About 43% of families received fixed income other than public assistance and employment, meaning social security, pensions, veteran benefits, and so on. About 25% of NYCHA's population is under 18. About 24% of NYCHA's population is 62 or older. Roughly 43% of households in NYCHA are headed by people age 62 and older. 25 years is the average tenure of a NYCHA public housing resident. There are more than 274,000 families on the waiting list for public housing as of the end of January of this year. And there's roughly 18,000 families on the waiting list for Section 8 housing vouchers as well. The NYCHA vacancy rate as of April was about 3%, but there's a lot of discussion around exactly how many NYCHA apartments are vacant and for how long and some of the challenges NYCHA has been having with turning around those vacancies. Uh, We'll get to that with my guests at some point here in the conversation, I hope, along with many, many other 
aspects of what's going on in public housing in New York. I threw a lot of data at you there, and there's more coming up here in this introduction, but if you want to find any of this, it's all available online through NYCHA's website or NYCHA's fact sheet that you can Google uh, and find a lot of information through the fact sheet, through other uh, things that NYCHA has put on the web and more. As of February of this year, NYCHA has 12,613 employees, and about 18% of them are public housing residents. Of the 528,000 or so New Yorkers who live in NYCHA housing of some kind, about 330,000 of those residents are in traditional public housing across all five boroughs in more than 177,000 apartments in 274 developments. There are also now more than 30,000 residents in almost 16,000 apartments in roughly 60 developments that are part of the growing Permanent Affordability Commitment Together program known as PACT, where public housing is managed by private NYCHA partners as encouraged by the relevant federal program, which is known as Rental Assistance Demonstration, uh, RAD. And NYCHA also provides federal rental subsidies to about 167,000 residents through the Section 8 housing voucher program used in the private market. There is a lot underway at NYCHA that the authority with its federal partners, with its state partners, with its city partners, there's complicated governance. We'll get into that more in a little bit. Uh, But there are a variety of programs and models and funding streams happening at NYCHA in order to try to improve living conditions, whether it's general quality of life issues or operations, small scale improvements or bigger upgrades and really trying to make sure that these buildings don't need to be torn down in many instances, although some people think that that's actually a better model, tear down or rebuild. More on that in a minute. There's a lot of different funding models. The ongoing movement of development into the PAC program with private management, which has been encouraged by the federal government. There is now a new preservation trust program where residents of some developments will start being able to vote about whether they want to participate. The preservation trust was passed at the state level with encouragement from the city. The idea was uh, developed during the de Blasio years, but passed through Albany here under the administration of Mayor Eric Adams. It's a new entity allowing NYCHA to raise billions of dollars of capital funds for upgrades at the developments that participate by, again, leveraging federal dollars via bond sales. Like a lot of what's at play here, it's very complicated. But this new program is starting. It's getting off the ground. At least the the votes on it among residents will will start. Uh, Outreach is happening. There will be a first plan vote in November by tenants at the Nostrand houses in Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn, where Mayor Adams and others, including the CEO of NYCHA, made the announcement at the beginning of August that that would be the first development that would engage in this education uh, of tenants about what the possibilities are and then a vote. There is also, speaking of a lot of things going on here, the resident approved plan for two Manhattan developments in Chelsea that's moving ahead where NYCHA is planning to work with developers to tear down the current buildings at Fulton Houses and Elliott Chelsea Houses and replace them with new public housing and new private market housing on the same complex that will include a mix of income levels. This is a major, long in process, long awaited plan that could become a model elsewhere. 
in NYCHA and potentially be a very significant factor in addressing both the massive capital needs of the public housing authority and New York City's larger, dire housing shortage. Or it could get stopped by uh, tenant votes or by litigation or by the city's land use review process where it must undergo review. So there's a lot at stake in that long simmering plan for a teardown, rebuild, plus infill development in those campuses in NYCHA. There are ongoing mixed opinions among tenants, tenant advocates, and others about so many of these programs and what should happen. Meanwhile, a lot of people have given up on the federal government for sending more money. Many have not and want to encourage the federal government to find a way to send billions of dollars in capital help to NYCHA, even in the physical needs assessment that was released. And it it outlines that there's strategies to bring in tens of billions of dollars of that need, but it also says there's no way to get there to the $78 billion of need over the 20 years, most of it front-loaded because of the conditions of the buildings and developments. No way to get there without a major infusion of funding from the federal government. There are no signs of that happening. It didn't happen when Democrats had full control of the federal government, and it's certainly unlikely where Republicans have control of at least one House of Congress or the presidency or who knows what will happen after the 2024 elections. But even Democrats who are more supportive of public housing, unable to send that money, obviously that goes back in part to the very narrow majorities that they had in the House and the Senate. But we won't go into all that right now. We'll see what happens with these models at NYCHA. I could go on and on here about different things happening at NYCHA, major question marks, policies in motion, proposals that have been advanced, some that haven't. Uh, A list, by the way, that also includes uh, relatively new operating budget challenges brought on by a big increase in lack of payment of rent during the pandemic. And there is now money put into the new state budget that was passed in early May to replenish the state's emergency rental assistance program known as ERAP with a particular focus on public housing tenants who were left out last time. Okay, I will stop there. As I said, I could go on and on, but a very interesting conversation ahead here today. Just very quickly, if you missed any other recent episodes of the show, find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts. Recent guests have included public advocate Jamani Williams, the co-chairs of the New York City's Progressive Caucus in the City Council, Council Member Shahana Hanif and Lincoln Ressler, and City Council Member Rafael Salamanca, who is the chair of the City Council's very important land use committee. Those are some of the most recent guests, but we're getting into public housing here today. Okay, let me pause there and let's bring my guests in here because we want to hear from them about how they plan to lead NYCHA now and into the future on some of the things I've discussed here and more. I'm very pleased to be joined today by the CEO of NYCHA, Lisa Bova-Hyatt, and the NYCHA board chair, Jamie Rubin. In early July, Mayor Adams announced that, in agreement with federal authorities, Lisa Bova-Hyatt would be elevated from acting to permanent CEO and that J.B. Rubin would come in as chair of the NYCHA board. Lisa Bova-Hyatt was interim NYCHA CEO for almost a year and has more than 25 years in the public sector, including in the governor's office at CUNY. Before becoming acting CEO, she joined NYCHA in February 2020 as general counsel, where she led the authority's law department and was involved with NYCHA executive matters, including compliance with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development agreement that I mentioned earlier. 
NYCHA's transformation, implementation plans, operations, administration, and more. She was previously general counsel at the City University Construction Fund and Executive University Council for CUNY. Prior to CUNY, Lisa Bova Hyatt served as executive director of the New York Governor's Office of Storm Recovery and previously spent 19 years in various roles at the New York City Law Department. Jamie Rubin comes to NYCHA with decades of experience in government, nonprofits, the private sector, with a special focus on housing and other infrastructure, including in the governor's office, storm recovery, resiliency, leading the state housing department, New York State Homes and Community Renewal, serving as director of state operations. He was also director of President Obama's Hurricane Sandy Recovery and Rebuilding Task Force and a senior advisor to then HUD Secretary Sean Donovan. Jamie Rubin is currently chief investment officer of Align Climate Capital, investing in the low carbon economy across the country. He will oversee the seven-member NYCHA board that advises and votes on things like contracts, rules, regulations, and other administrative matters. Thank you both for joining me. Welcome, Lisa. Hello, Jamie. Hello. Thank you for taking the time. How are you? Good morning. Thanks so much for having us. I'm great. Thanks. So I gave just the tiniest bit of introduction about your two roles. Lisa, just say a little bit about how you see the role of CEO at NYCHA. That's obviously day-to-day operations, but also a lot of big picture thinking. You've been general counsel there. You're very familiar with the uh, agreement with federal authorities for the monitor over NYCHA, but you came in as interim CEO and now permanent CEO. How do you sort of think about that role and, and what are you trying to make of it? Um, thanks for the question. So historically, there's always been one chair um, appointed as the head of NYCHA. But when we look at the bifurcation of the roles, which was done um, and approved by our board in June of 2022, uh, the separation of the CEO and, and chair really aligns with the operating structure of other public housing authorities nationwide and similarly structured organizations um, across um, uh, New York. And I think what it will do is really um, uh, help us uh, be in line with the transformation plan and the implementation plan, uh, which were born out of the HUD agreement that we signed uh, with the Southern District, HUD, and the city back in 2019. Uh, and I'm super excited that uh, Jamie Rubin is our board chair. We, as you know, we've uh, worked together previously, um, and uh, his um uh, role as board chair and and my role as CEO really overseeing the day-to-day operations making sure that we are uh squarely in compliance with the HUD agreement um and also really looking uh and collaborating together on what we do with our portfolio um you know as you know we have really implemented creative solutions to deal with the you know, really ineffective and um, uh, the funding that we get from the federal government through the Section 9 program. So 
like other public housing authorities across the country, we are really focused on making sure that our portfolio is sustainable. And the way that we can do that um, is through programs like the PACT program, Comprehensive Modernization, and of course, the trust, which was signed into law by Governor Hochul uh, in June of 2022. Mm -hmm. And Jamie, as, as chair of the board, how do you envision uh, filling that role? What what are you most focused on? Is it some of these big picture items? Is it more nuts and bolts? Um, you know, some of the things I mentioned that the board votes on things related to contracts and rules and regulations and administrative matters, or is it really about we have these tens of billions of dollars in needs, as I mentioned in the introduction. Um, and I and we really got to focus on sort of the big picture solutions, the public private partnerships, maybe experimenting with more of these tear down, rebuild models. How are you thinking about leading the the board? Um, so I, I've, I've, you you actually you gave me a bunch of different answers and it's a little bit of all, all of, of the above. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, with one with one exception, the nuts yeah. and bolts um, piece is you know, is, is really, um, I, I take that to mean day-to-day -day management of the agency. And that's very much Lisa and her team. Um, you know, that I've been on a lot of different boards, private and public sector, and it's the unusual board that does much by way of, um, of day-to-day -day management of anything, particularly an agency this large. So that, that we're going to leave to them and, and they've been, um, improving, NYCHA's data and management practices dramatically over the last few years, particularly since the consent decree. So that's that's not us. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, the other stuff that you mentioned, I think, is much more in line with what we see our mission as as being. The um, there is the, the 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 mayor's office, a couple of different mayor's offices now, um, and this team have put out public um, strategic plans for NYCHA ways forward. They call them different things, but they're all heading the same direction. That I think make a lot of sense. Um, and they've taken on more detail as, as they've, you know, as the teams have learned through practice, what works and what doesn't work, what needs to be changed. And in one case, as the legislature acted. So our role as a board is to help them execute, to, to continue to refine those strategies, execute them and make sure that they're staying true to them where they make sense. So that's sort of a mix of strategy and execution. There is a certain amount of just raw governance that has to take place. That's what a board does, particularly a board of a public authority like this. And if you um, tune into the next public meeting, which I guess will be public board meeting, which I guess will be in September, you get a, a sense of what that is. It's not um, super fascinating to watch, but it is it's important for the agency to run improvement in contracts and things like this. Um, you know, we're and and I guess the last thing is we're supposed to bring in, and I think we will bring in a lot of outside voices. Um, from places in the city that maybe haven't had that much to do with oversight of NYCHA or with NYCHA's operations and strategy in the past, just because we're a couple of board members are bringing access to new networks um, uh, from around the city and around the country. What What's an example of that? Who do you want to bring in that could be helpful? What yeah. Kind of voice? Yep. Um, well, I mean, the obvious the obvious issue, which you, you pointed out, is uh, is NYCHA's finances. Um, you know, they made a tremendous amount of progress bringing private capital um, in, in an appropriate way um, through the RAD, through the PACT program into the projects. Unfortunately, the, PN, the size of the PNA is a reflection of, um, of how much more there is to do as much as fast as we've gone, how much more there is to do. Um, and I think some thought does have to be put into whether there are other 
um, other solutions that maybe involve private capital or maybe just involve different uses of public capital. And the good news is we're sitting in New York City in the middle of the financial capital of the world where there are a lot of people that have put um, their big brains to use in the interest of making money over the last 50 years. And maybe it's time for them to help um, do that in the public interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we can, we can do that. ENA being the physical needs assessment. Um, yes. <laughs> Lisa, um, you have been general counsel. You were interim CEO, now uh, becoming uh, the permanent CEO. Um, is there anything that you've seen in your experience where you're coming into this role or you even said to Mayor Adams or you said to federal officials uh, involved here that here's something we haven't really, you know, here here's something that as CEO, I really want to look at doing differently. You know, is there sort of a top of the agenda thing? There's so many, as I, as I outlined in the introduction, there's so many things in motion at NYCHA. There's a whole bunch of plans. I remember during the 2021 mayoral race, I would ask uh, mayoral candidates about different things about NYCHA. And some of them would just say, NYCHA has plans. We just need to execute them. We need to, we need, you know, we need more funding. We need, you know, good leadership. We need different, but, but we don't need more plans. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to tinker that much more. We really need to come in and execute and execute, you know, as quickly and as responsibly as, as possible while also bringing in obviously more federal funding is, you know, top of the agenda, but also funding at the city and state levels and, and ways to leverage private capital as Jamie was just talking about. But, um, is there sort of a, a thing that you think is a lever that hasn't been pulled yet that you you know have been thinking about or talking about? Was there a way that you said something to Mayor Adams or others that that when you were saying I want to stay on that was a, a you know sort of a pitch of a thing that you're thinking about doing differently or is the pitch much more I'm the right person to continue to execute all this stuff that's already in motion or both? So I think it's a combination of both. You know, when you think about NYCHA, we are a city within a city. One in 17 New Yorkers lives in one of our developments. So when you're walking down the street, there's a very good chance that you're walking um, with people who live in one of our developments in one of the five boroughs. And... um, You know, right now, I think we're at a perfect moment in time. We have new board members. We have a new board chair. Um, There's a lot of excitement and hope around um, the trust. I don't know if you had the opportunity to um, watch uh, part of the press conference, but, uh, you know, the TA president, Barbara McFadden, was just, you could just feel her emotion and excitement. as to what could be at her development. Um, And that's one of the things that I really want to lean in to both um, for our residents and our employees. Like, like, let's reimagine what NYCHA can be. NYCHA historically, and, you know, as somebody who, uh, you know, Jamie and I both grew up in, in New York, you know, NYCHA has always been this, you know, uh, giant behemoth of an agency um, you know, always talked about in the press as um, an entity that uh, is wrought with mismanagement. You know, but the reality is, is we have a, a, at this moment in time, an amazing uh, executive leadership team. We also have, which I think is a very good thing, the oversight um, and the commitment 
from HUD, from the Southern District, from our federal partners to really make sure that we are undertaking um, both the items within uh, the HUD agreement um, in a way to really eradicate problems that have plagued NYCHA and public housing for so long. When you think about our the lead pillar area, you know, the reason we got into the HUD agreement in the first place, we are on track to remediate um, all of the or abate all of the lead, you know, far ahead of schedule, which is amazing, right? It's it's then that will free up more money to to do other things at NYCHA. So when I think about um what my goal is uh, as the NYCHA CEO first is just to provide tremendous continuity um, because historically, and I hear this from our employees, I've heard it repeatedly from our residents, somebody comes in, they're here for two years and then they leave. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that's your point of, oh, NYCHA has a million plans. Um, but, you know, Jamie and I are here to provide that continuity. Um, and the vision to really execute on not only what are we going to do in the context of um, the trust, right, which uh, is our ability to transform 25,000 units, but also packed. Maybe there's a way to expand beyond the 62,000 um, apartments that we currently have slated and then come up with creative ideas like our comprehensive modernization program. Like we really have to divide and conquer. And what's so wonderful and unique about NYCHA is the fact that when you talk to other public housing authorities outside of New York City, you know, um, public housing is always on the other side of the tracks. In New York City, public housing is everywhere. You know, you walk a couple of blocks, whether it's in Manhattan, Staten Island, Queens, so we are in the the most desirable neighborhoods um, and and in other neighborhoods. And I think that makes NYCHA really an incredible part of the fabric of New York City. Um, what's uh, amazing about this time as well is that Mayor Adams and his team uh, Deputy Mayor Torres Springer is so, they're both so incredibly, and uh, obviously the first Deputy Mayor, so incredibly dedicated to NYCHA and its residents, um, more so than I have seen, um, you know, in past administrations. Mm -hmm. um, either of you that wants to jump in on this, there's the mayor, there's the federal monitor, Bart Schwartz. Um, there is obviously the, the HUD secretary, Marsha Fudge. There's a uh, regional administrator for HUD. Uh, the state government to an extent, uh, mostly not really uh, too involved, but obviously passed the preservation trust and, and put that into law and, and provides some dollars towards NYCHA, including in the most recent state budget, um, some money meant to help address rent arrears, which we can get to. Can one or both of you say a little bit about sort of who, who who's in charge or how you have to navigate all of those folks who have a say in what's happening at NYCHA, have oversight, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's also the NYCHA board and NYCHA leadership that's, that's running things on the day-to-day -day basis. Is there a way to clarify for people a little bit more sort of who's making the ultimate calls here or is it really it depends what's relative to the consent decree 
what's relative to some of the operational things and what's relative to some of the capital things? Is there a way to sort of help people understand a little better sort of who's in charge on what? Lisa, you want me to, maybe I'll take a first crack at it just based on what I've seen as a more recent, um, you know, more recently to the table, and then you can tell me where I went wrong. Um, the, you know, a couple of things, first of all, Ben, um, you know, you, you, you correct. I think you named all the right players. So that's great. Um, there's nobody else that I can think of. Um, as a technical matter, both Lisa and I were chosen by, um, uh, for these positions, um, by a group that includes the mayor's office, um, which means the mayor, the Southern district representing the department of justice and HUD, and then the folks at HUD who oversee public housing. So that gives you a pretty good sense of sort of who's making the very, very top level decisions. It's very much a joint, uh, a joint decision. But, uh, after that, um, you know, I come back to the same thing I said before, which is that the day-to-day operations decisions direction of, of NYCHA is, you know, is left to NYCHA. Lisa and her team, you know, are there every day. Nobody else from that group we just talked about or, or anybody else is there at most they have, you know, they've got a weekly interaction or whatever. If things go wrong as revealed through data that we provide or whatever else comes out, that's going to be a different story. You know, luckily that hasn't happened since the consent decree went into place. The, those folks are very happy with the progress. But in terms of, you know, when uh, under ordinary circumstances, it really is very much NYCHA. The monitor has its own special special role. And maybe I'll just let Lisa talk a little about what that is because I have less experience with it. But the rest of it is very much oversight, um, sort of regular way oversight of compliance with the various things that the federal government said they wanted to see. That's the five pillars that Lisa talked about. Um the the board and, and it's been you know it's, my experience so far has been it's it's been a very um, it's been a cooperative partnership. The federal government the federal government seems to at the moment view their role as being certainly compliance and oversight, but they are a partner. They're not an enforcer. And it's interesting in that in that regard that you know a lot of times in these consent decrees you have a judge that's also there at the table. I haven't seen maybe Lisa can tell me I'm wrong, but I haven't seen much sign of a judge around. I think that's probably because the department feels like they are um, getting what they need. Mm-hmm. The, the only other party at the table there is, is the board, which we talked about. And, I, you know, as I said before, we have a very specific role that's closer in than some of the um, than the federal government partners or the state of the city um, in a lot of ways. But but it's a more traditional it's a traditional board role. Really, in the end of the day, it all comes back to management. And before you jump in, Lisa, I, I want to note and maybe you can comment on this, that the Department of Justice has put out a call for applications for mm. a new five-year term for uh, the federal monitor that was established in the beginning of 2019 in the settlement agreement. And then recently, there was a call for applications that that closed. Uh, the current monitor, Bart Schwartz, has said that he was going to seek to continue as such. I don't know if there's any sort of news you can share on that front or expectation or if everybody's in agreement that it would be good if Bart Schwartz continued, but that um, is in the offing here. Sure. So, you know, I will say just to to, um, continue what Jamie said, you know, I am the CEO of NYCHA. I make the day-to-day decisions, but I do it also in collaboration. I am not shy um, when it comes to asking for uh, assistance or collaboration. And I really do believe that HUD and the Southern District and the city and even the monitor have provided um, some of the tools that we needed to be a more um, efficient um, uh, agency 
under the HUD agreement, we were required to stand up a QA department and a robust compliance uh, unit. And given our size, um, I think those were the right steps. Um, and I will tell you, I speak regularly um, to both the monitor, uh, his team, um, HUD in DC, uh, the district office in uh, Manhattan, um, as well as the Southern District. Um, and what's really great is that we are all aligned on our mission to make sure that NYCHA is providing sustainable, healthy um, uh, apartments for our residents. Um, so we're all aligned there. Um, and in terms of a new monitor, you know, that decision is left up to HUD and the Southern District. I personally think that NYCHA is in a much different place than uh, we were back when we signed uh, the original HUD agreement in 2019. Um, you know, in my perfect world, a monitor would be uh, incredibly, uh, have technical assistance that they could provide. You know, Bart and his team have done a great job um, and I really appreciate their partnership. Um, you know, I also appreciate all of the things that we've been able to get done uh, during his tenure. Um, you know, one of the highlights of my time as interim CEO was seeing him on the news talking about how our lead program um, is really, you know, uh, the best in class uh, across the country in terms of the way um, that we abate, um, uh, the way that we test, um, and uh, the services that we provide to our our tenants. So I, I really think that that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that Jamie really um, explained it pretty well. Yeah. So um, as we get into some real nuts and bolts specifics here of, of some of the programs go, going on and, and uh, things in motion, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, obviously baked into a lot of this decision-making, as I said, in the initial rollout of the Preservation Trust Program is a lot of resident voice voting on whether to enter that program was a key pillar of the state passing the Preservation Trust. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways in which uh, NYCHA is, is engaging residents in trying to um, decide the, the fate of different developments and what's happening. And we obviously are seeing things move ahead, as I mentioned, in the teardown rebuild uh, in Chelsea. Um, that plan, Preservation Trust now moving ahead at the first uh, development in Brooklyn. Um, the mayor said at the at that at that press conference you referenced um, at the beginning of August here, the mayor said as he was announcing the Preservation Trust and, and you were there, Lisa, talking about um, the role of the federal government. He said the federal government has abandoned NYCHA. To what to what you know, to what extent is there any way in which you could put that into any other context? I mean, do you think it's a full abandonment or are there ways that through the RAD PACT program, the federal government is is still, you know, somewhat helpful here? The fact that there's been no real big additional infusion of capital money, even when Democrats had full control of the federal government uh, for a little while when President Biden first came into office, seems to be, you know, really something that's very troubling to a lot of people in New York. Um, to what extent, you know, has the federal government sort of fully ab abandoned NYCHA other than this, obviously, this HUD agreement that we've been talking about 
Um, and to what extent is there some help coming from the federal government? I would I would say. Oh, um, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. OK, here, so I'll give you my, my analogy is the federal government. If the federal government is the parent, they went away for a really long vacation, um, but it wasn't a full abandonment. And maybe they're back now. That would be nice. Hmm. Um, you know, but spent uh, all their money elsewhere. They spent all their money elsewhere, well, but I they're still so. here. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there have been decades of federal disinvestment um, with respect to just dollars, um, not only to NYCHA, but across the country. And the reason why public housing authorities are looking to these different funding streams and different models is because public housing is not sustainable when you look at the amount of subsidy we get per apartment in the Section 9 program versus the Section 8 program. So um, that's what he was talking about. Um, and mm-hmm. you're 100% correct that, you know, when we had a, um, a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president, we still weren't able to um, get the money that we needed. Um, and that is... Um, really incredibly frustrating when you think about the number of people who live in public housing, not only in New York City, um, but in, you know, across the country. Um, So when we look at these other models, you know, the trust has, what we're doing is, uh, you know, RAD was an Obama era program um, that public housing authorities across the country um, leaned into earlier, um, you know, uh, our PACT program is relatively new. Um, you know, we started in uh, 2018. Um, but when you think about the amount of subsidy that we're getting through the Section 8 program, which is basically double than what we would be getting under traditional public housing Section 9, um, I, we really almost don't have an option. Um, and we're trying to make sure that Tenants appreciate that. That yeah, if you're I mean, waiting, that seems like such a key money, point. Yeah. Right. Exactly. If you are waiting for money from the federal government for Section Nine, you are going to be waiting a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so, what we need to do is to lean into creative solutions. And you know what makes the trust so interesting. And you know. Jamie will tell you that when we were both um, at the governor's office of storm recovery, one of the things that we would say over and over is nobody knows what a community needs better than that particular community, especially in the context of rebuilding after an extreme weather. But the same holds true for public housing. There's no one size fits all approach. And the beauty of both PACT and the trust is the intense um, resident engagement that we have undertaken. And we want to make sure that our residents know that we are listening to them. Now, we might not always agree, but we're listening. Um, And I think that that is something um, that public housing tenants don't necessarily enjoy. Um, and it's something um, that I want to make sure that we are doing here at Nocha. So you get, you know, you get 
the points that you just made, which are some, you know, sort of very like, let's get real here. This is what is coming from the federal government and this is what's not. But you get some people who are saying, well, that's just not acceptable. And the federal government needs to send more, you know, traditional Section 9 money. Uh, we need to get, you know, tens of billions of dollars into an infrastructure bill. Um, you know, th th these things just need to happen and we need to put more pressure on it. And uh, we don't we shouldn't have to decide to go into a pact program or we shouldn't have to decide, um, you know, to think about a, a tear down, rebuild and additional housing being built, you know, in the development that's that's new mixed income housing, like is the plan in Manhattan, although there's plenty of people who find those things attractive. But but there's mixed opinions, obviously. But then you get people, I think, you know, especially some people inside and then people who would look from outside and say nearly $80 billion physical needs assessment. It just keeps ballooning. There's almost no way to catch up realistically without a huge infusion of money from the federal government that nobody thinks is coming. And so the plans that are moving ahead have some promise, but they're not moving ahead anywhere near fast enough. And obviously there's people who don't even want those plans to move ahead. But what do you say to people who say, oh, the PAC program has gotten going a bit, but that's that's not moving. That that doesn't include enough developments and units and needs to move much faster. The Preservation Trust is just getting going and there's going to be one initial development that's voting now in November of 2023. Uh, it's taken years to get to this plan of a teardown rebuild and adding new housing uh, in Manhattan that I keep mentioning. What do you say, Jamie, why don't you start to, to folks who say you must uh, have to think about ways to accelerate all this stuff for there to be any chance for NYCHA's developments to be salvageable in any way? Yeah, I, look, I totally agree. And you're asking you asked sort of two separate two separate points. You, you put on the table two separate points of view that are sort of opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're kind of the same thing. The answer is, is the same to both of them, which I totally agree. I wish the federal government, we all know what else ought to happen, which is that the federal government ought to reclaim their role it once had in, in public housing, uh, step in and make uh, and make, make NYCHA whole. That is not going to happen. And there's a lot of reasons that we can talk about some other time um, for that. You know, we have a broken political system and, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so the good news is that we've now, I think as a, as a city has acknowledged that, that, that that's where we are and have turned to other strategies. The, the last couple of years, I think of as being uh, a trying ground, you know, a proving ground for some really innovative, um, innovative financing strategies, you know, mostly packed also this uh, implementation of the trust. And now what's happened in the Chelsea homes, which is a sort of a more radical Reenvisioning of how to of how to um, of how to rebuild NYCHA. By the way, none of this is new to New York City. I love New York City to be the leader in everything, but this, these these rad programs have already been proven to work elsewhere, San Francisco, other places across the country. But you know that's fine. New York is different and bigger. Um, but now yeah, it's time for us to now it's time for us to say, great, we know packed works. Any tenant you talk to who lives in a packed uh, in a packed called packed enabled uh, project will tell you that it has been a success. Um, and it's now time to amp it up. Um, we have to, I, my view and this, you know, Lisa and I've talked a little bit about this, but my view is that we have to get in terms of bringing who we bring into, um, to, to these projects, whether they're packed or something more like Chelsea, um, we need to find, expand the, the aperture a little bit and find, 
a new larger class of of developers. New York City has the best the best affordable housing developers in the world, but we need more because, as you say, we have to we have to step it up. But that's a matter of focus and speed and perhaps some tweaks in the program. We know what we need to do at this point. The pilot program that Lisa and her team have, have executed over the last few years, Impact, has been enormously successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and Lisa. I will say, thanks, Jamie. Um, you know, as of probably May or June, we have made repairs through the PACT program at nearly 6,000 apartments and 10,000 are undergoing renovations now. And that's about three and a half billion dollars in capital repair, uh, repairs. And um, NYCHA is currently engaging with residents and planning for investments at over an additional 21,000 apartments across the city. So there have been progress, but you know, there's sort of a rub. You can't have robust engagement. Like when we think about the trust and we're saying, okay, we're gonna have a hundred days of engagement before we um, have a vote as to which path to choose. You can't have robust engagement and move quickly, right? You know, it it's a process. Um, and because of our scale, you know, the fact that we have 177,000 give or take apartments, you know, I, I have a whiteboard in my office that sort of, you know, looks at our whole portfolio and how many, you know, we talk about, you know, we are committed, um, and I know the city is committed uh, to include 62,000 apartments uh, in the PACT program. Um, you know, we have the cap of 25 thousand apartments um, through uh, the trust, although we could, if it, you know, um, turned out to be successful, which we know it will be, um, we could go back to the state legislature and increase that number. Um, And, you know, we have about, I don't know the number of properties going through our comprehensive modernization. It's a small uh, a small number uh, compared to the trust and uh, PACs. But, you know, we're, we're slowly chipping away at, um, you know, the 87,000 or so apartments uh, that would still be after we hit the 62,000 cap and the 25,000 cap. Um, and our comprehensive modernization program, you know, what we would do with the rest. Um, you know, the the issue with moving faster is the fact that we don't necessarily have the number of people, the number of project managers, you know, the number of staff. Uh, you know, at one point, NYCHA had, I believe, 17,000 employees. Uh, right now, we have 12,000. And Ben, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, uh, and the amount of render rears that we have um, and the fact that subsidized tenants throughout the state, not only in New York City, uh, were deprioritized by uh, the state legislature. Having a half a billion dollars in rent arrears, you know, really does throw a kink into your ability to provide consistent operations, whether it's operations on the ground or operations moving properties through PACT and the trust. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben, I, I want to say one last thing. I'm sorry. I'm sure we're running out of time. But um, back to your point about the federal government. Look, obviously, getting a lot of money from the federal government would be great. There are other things that the federal government can do and often does do that don't involve money. Um, and Lisa and I you know, have a lot of experience uh, back in storm recovery, but it's equally applicable here. 
you know, there are all these programs that we're using are our federal programs. And Lisa and her team have found a lot of new and innovative ways to use them. But they often require help from the feds, um, whether it's executing a waiver faster or, you know, being flexible in how they interpret the rules, their own rules or the language of a statute or whatever. Um, it's critically important that you have a, a partner in the federal government who can get you a quick answer because that enables you to, to execute your own plans, even without their money. Mm-hmm. Um, a few quick hits and then I'll let you go. Is the is the teardown rebuild at the two developments in Chelsea? Is that definitely moving ahead, barring some sort of legal you know, challenge that gums things up? Is that definitely moving ahead with the teardown rebuild and the infill new development? Is, is that is that as far as you're concerned, that's definitely happening? Well, we have to go through the Euler process. So, um, you know, under the plan preferred by the residents, um, we do need to go uh, through Euler. So nothing is definite, mm-hmm. um, but the plan is what we're moving forward with. Um, you know, as you know, we have to do um, an environmental impact statement, um, go through the Euler process. And our plan is... Uh, if and when it's approved, that we would move forward. Um, and what's really exciting about that program, again, is to see our residents, um, you know, speaking with uh, both the TA presidents from Fulton and Elliot Chelsea, um, they are really, really excited um, about the opportunity to get a brand new building and not only a brand new building, but also creating a campus, right? The plan would include roughly 3,500 new mixed income apartments um, with you know, around 875 new affordable apartments and really making these campuses a place where people want to walk into, um, you know, with and how, and how healthcare much is facilities. That- and how much is that a Go model ahead. in your mind for going to other developments? Is that something that right now is is more of a one-off while you focus on these other models that we're talking about? Or is that something you think you want to pursue more aggressively? You know, it, it, it could be a model for other developments, but we don't know. Um, we do need to see what happens at Fulton and Elliott Chelsea. Um, there is a lot of excitement. There's also, you know, a lot of people who are nervous, and I appreciate that. You know, the beauty of what we're uh, planning is that, um, you know, a very large majority, like 94% of the households would remain in their existing apartments until, the, until their new apartments are ready for occupancy. So they could actually see the buildings that they're moving into going up, which is incredibly exciting. And also, I think, provides a little comfort. So they're not going to be relocated and then never move back, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I know that people are um, afraid of. It's happening Very in other of. cities yeah. across the country. Um, and, and I 100% appreciate that. You know, again, you know, the model at Fulton Elliott Chelsea is not something that might work on, you know, Staten Island, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we really have to look to see where the need is. Um, okay. But it's it's definitely one of the tools that we're going to use um, to move forward. And, and I st- really think, as Jamie said, is, you know, we have to be creative. We have to think outside of the box and we can't be scared. As long as we are engaging our residents, um, engaging our federal, city, and state partners, you know, I really think that we can transform NYCHA. 
Last two quick questions. You mentioned the rent arrears and and I mentioned how there was money put into the new state budget that finally did uh, create access for public housing tenants uh, in that emergency rental assistance program. Is that money moving? Are you seeing any of that yet through uh, what the state allocated and um, the program are you are is NYCHA's you know uh, budget becoming more whole? Um, so we haven't received any money yet. However, we are working with OTDA um, to implement this funding. We are getting very close, and it will be a wonderful day um, when we do get access to that money. However, you know the larger problem is that when you think about our tenants, you know our average uh, tenant who's in rent arrears is about seven thousand um, dollars. Our average household income is a little over twenty five thousand dollars. So when you think about you know how much money they owe, all of that is not going to be covered by ERAP. So we're really going to need to be creative connect our residents with other resources like one-shot deals, have them sign payment plans. And I really um, am very positive that once they get back into the cadence after receiving their ERAP money, um, you know, that we will see um, both that money come in and our rent arrears start to, mm. to go down to pre-pandemic levels. And Jamie, maybe you want to take this final one, but hand it off if you'd like. Um the mayor has talked a lot, both in his campaign and, and as mayor, and it's part of the NYCHA section of the housing plan uh, that Mayor Adams put out about um, selling NYCHA air rights. Is that is 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 there anything moving on that front? Uh, it seems to be something the mayor has thought to be very promising. Um, is is that something that's uh, that's moving in any in any way? Um. You know, it's something that's something that people have talked about um, as, as as a, you know, as part of a potential strategy over time. It would just, you know, if the, it, it makes sense if it'll generate additional capital for NYCHA without um, in any way impinging on, um, you know, impinging on the lives of the um, of the tenants. It, it always seems like a good idea. One of the problems is that you have to make sure that you're you, know, you go to a lot of trouble to do that and you have to make sure there's a market for those air rights. And there's usually rules around, you know, where they can be used and and all that. So it's something we we should probably explore. Uh, you know, I I started three weeks ago. Um, I think we've we've done, we've made a lot of different. Yeah. Yeah. We've made a lot of changes. A lot going week. on, as I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not yeah. we're not quite there yet, but it's uh, an interesting idea, and certainly it's on the mayor's mind. Okay, and sorry, I I got asked this last one. I just realized I skipped over it. The city the city budget added, I believe, some money for trying to help NYCHA reduce vacancies and get vacant apartments turned around faster. Any quick update either of you can give on on that effort to do some more, you know, do you have a number right now of roughly how many NYCHA apartments are vacant and any quick update on that effort? numbers in front of me, but I can tell you that, you know, we're incredibly grateful for that money and we are really laser focused on making sure that we are turning around those apartments quicker. You know, as we've said, um, you know, an average night of family uh, lives in an apartment for decades. So when we do have that turnover, one of the things that we're focused on now is making sure that we are um, uh that the, we're looking at lead, asbestos, um, and um, other environmental hazards, so that when somebody does move into an apartment, um, all of that's abated. And that does take time. 
Um, but we know that the apartment will then be ready for the next um, tenant and that they will be uh, in an environmentally safe apartment. Right. Well, I appreciate both your time very much. Uh, you've been listening to the new new-ish <laughs> NYCHA leadership. Um, CEO Lisa Bova-Hyatt, board chair Jamie Rubin, thank you for all the time. In many ways, as we've discussed, you know, it is a new era at NYCHA, a lot of uh, new things in motion, a lot of things that have been put in motion in recent years that are accelerating or being implemented. Obviously, a relatively new mayor still. Uh, Lisa, you've been interim CEO, but now coming in permanently. Jamie, new board chair. Uh, so a lot happening at NYCHA. Really appreciate you coming and joining me for this conversation. Uh, good luck with all of this and more. And, uh, and thank you for the time. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Be well.